Welcome to Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, an FRP podcast hosted by me, Rebecca Byrne Callender. In this seven-part series, we speak to experts and business leaders from across the UK to identify and analyse the issues facing the UK business community in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Insolvencies are part and parcel of any economic downturn, but the UK economy has never dealt with a pause such as the one created by the coronavirus pandemic. This unique moment in history requires businesses to operate differently, and that sentiment rings especially true for how they manage the situation when approaching insolvency. In this episode, we'll discuss the rise of light-touch administrations and what they mean for restructuring in the future, drawing on examples including Debenhams, Carluccios and Victoria's Secret. I'm joined by Joanne Rumley, who leads the Restructuring and Insolvency Legal Practice at Foot Anstey, Jeff Rowley, who founded FRP 10 years ago and now serves as chief executive, and Alistair Massey, a partner in FRP's restructuring advisory team in London. I'm your host, the journalist Rebecca Byrne Callender. I'd like to kick off by looking at why light touch administrations are in the press at the moment, because they've been around a long time. Is that right, Joanne? I mean, these aren't a new phenomenon. Yeah, that's right, Bex. Um, They have been around a long time. Um, I think probably the starting point is actually it is an administration. Um, We're calling it light touch administration. It is a normal administration process, but with a difference. It's the way the administrator approaches um, the the conduct of the administration to maximise the opportunity to try and rescue the business. And you're right, um, they have been around for a long time. In particular, there's been some high profile cases um, Rail track was one of them, Metronet, um, in the manufacturing space, one called Turner and Newell. Um, and um, what what they, or, or I guess the reason they've been around uh, for a while is where people have needed to innovate with the tools we have already in um, our insolvency toolkit to um, make sure that the right outcome is achieved for the company and its creditors. And in those previous cases that you mentioned, I mean, how successful have they been previously? I mean, do they is there a great track record of light touch being the go to form of administration in times of crisis? And, and why is that particularly? Yeah, you're right, Bex. The examples I've 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 cited Metronet, Railtrack, Turner and Newell. Um, were high profile big cases of a time in a moment that needed this light touch. We've probably not seen many light touch in administration since. And the reason for that is we've been sort of sat in a relatively benign economy. We obviously had the credit crunch, um, but that impacted um, really the financial sectors rather than operational businesses. Um, what what we're seeing now is a one-off catastrophic uh, event, COVID, um, massive pandemic, really good businesses affected by something that um, really is, is not of their making. Um, it's not because of poor management. And therefore, the light touch um, has a place again in trying to sustain those businesses through this short-term crisis. If you have a fundamentally good business with 
sudden and catastrophic impact, the underlying business is still good. And if we can get it through the restructuring period, it needs give it some breathing space, light touch provides an opportunity to do that. So so I wouldn't say it's a go to process. Um, it's right in the right types of circumstance. And that's why we've probably not seen so many, say, in the last 10 years. Great. Thank you for explaining that. And, and Jeff, if I can bring you in here, um, are there any particular types of businesses or sectors? Because um, we, we've heard a lot about retailers, for example, being involved in, in LTAs. Why is that type of business um, so well suited to this approach? I think, I mean, in the context of you know, what what is suitable, I think the primary thing that we're looking at is what's the underlying quality of the management? What's the underlying quality of systems and structures? And if you take retailers now, I mean, most of them will have pretty sophisticated systems in place in terms of how they are recording their sales, how they're dealing with all their SKUs, how they're dealing with their suppliers and underpinning that. And obviously where those are also active in the, in the online uh, arena, you know, they should have good systems, very good reporting. I mean, most retailers of a decent size or casual dining of a decent size or otherwise you know, their ability to understand what they're achieving on a daily basis is normally very high. So most of them will deliver, you know, daily reports as to activity levels, as to margin levels, as to what they're what they're going through. So in that sense, you know, what you're looking at is the ability to say, how can the administrators come in alongside management? Um, now, as Joanne says, we are still the administrators and we, we can't delegate away our obligations and our responsibilities but that doesn't mean that we we have to assume responsibility for every operational aspect of a business and it, and it, it's therefore those that have got good systems and structures in place um, there is no reason as to why administrators shouldn't be able to work alongside recognizing that there still will be a different world because the company is in administration but to do that in collaboration and to 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 give the company and the business in question breathing space to look at its options and obviously in the current climate we're in to sort of get through you know the immediacy of the crisis and for many instances it will be then about looking at what is the lie of the land you know what are the options and what can be pursued in due course and just to be clear when we talk about a strong management team what do we mean Alistair if I can bring you in here what do you look for in in terms of the characteristics and and the strengths of a management team to know that you know they're capable of of working within this structure if we take some of the examples you you highlighted in you know evidence for arguments say you've got you know career directors there who are you know who, who've been directors of plcs who are you know clearly um you know very well respected and you know have um have a certain reputation to protect and therefore you can be um you know relatively comfortable that you know the decisions that they will make will be in the best interests of um, of creditors and best interests of the company. Um, it's still obviously, as Jeff indicated, incredibly important for us to, what you know, whilst not taking over the you know entire management structure and the uh, the reporting lines, that we have um, an appropriate intervention. You know, within say cash commitments or, or or daily payments, where a member of the administrator staff has oversight to know what. The administrators are effectively undertaking to commit to and, um, and and cash leaving the business. So so it's about augmenting the management structure to ensure that we are completely you know we, we are mindful and compliant in our duties whilst not completely reinventing that um, reporting process. 
And Alistair, is, is that is that a challenge? How do you keep those lines of communication open and ensure that the administrators have all the information they need? Um, is that is that complex or is, is that something that, you know, you guys are very used to and you know what questions to ask? How do you manage that relationship? Um, I think we're, we're we're obviously mindful from our experience as to the areas that are likely to be of higher risk than others. It has been more difficult in the lockdown scenario because we can't simply walk the floor and understand what each member of the team, um, what say the finance team, for example, would do. So, um, you know, it's about spending the first two, three weeks understanding how the processes will work and, and, and ensuring that if we do feel there's a weakness or some a need to augment that process with an additional step to give us more control, that we are, we're able to highlight that, identify it and, uh, and, and put something in place to ensure that we do have sufficient control. And I've heard um, that there's some legislation in play, the consent protocol, which is also helping to alleviate some of the pressure on the insolvency industry of, of going through these LTAs. Jeff, can you talk me through how that works and, 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 and why it's proved um, useful in this process? Yes. So as an immediate response to the pandemic, um, and I have to say uh, we have to give credit to, to Joanne and our legal colleagues here because it was the parties such as the Insolvency Lawyers Association that sort of led the way on, on actually almost sort of, I guess, taking a pause, looking at what we already had, recognising that the prospect of coming up with something entirely new was unlikely to be feasible within the very short period of time that people initially had to react. And, and taking the legislation that we had, and, and in many ways, you know, because the, there was a draft protocol agreement, which it effectively seeks to set out the, the relationship between the administrators and the, the senior management team and to give clarity about who's doing what. Now, by definition, for a fairly large organisation, the ability to make that on day one, you know, 100% accurate and prescriptive is impossible, albeit I would have to say that I think if you get to the point where your protocol agreement has to be 100% prescriptive, you probably have got an environment where a light touch administration is not going to work because it needs to be a framework mm. rather than, you know, you can do X, you can do Y, you can't do this, you can't do that. And you bring if you bring it too granular, I, I would offer the opinion that that probably means that the working relationship and our trust in management and their trust in us is never going to quite work. But it was very helpful to have, you know, the profession come forward with a, a, a clearly drafted agreement that said, taking the existing powers that have always been there, but have just been probably hidden somewhat and not, not quite sort of exposed in the way as to the usefulness they are, and then take that forward. And, and you know, so, so as Alistair said, when we did Debenhams, literally on day one of our appointment, that agreement was entered into. Now, thankfully, we've actually had to refer to that agreement very, very little because the working relationship has been very collaborative. It's been very positive around trying to look at dealing with the trading, dealing with stabilising all sorts of matters. Um, but it is a useful document, you know, that everyone knows that sits there and can be referred to. And as I say, I, I look at it really as being a framework. Um, and I think if that's if it's put there in place for, for everyone's protection, then it, then it should serve purposes very well. And Joanne, I mean, do you think that the consent protocol will mean that the LTA is going to be popular kind of beyond lockdown, beyond COVID-19? Because there's a, there's a little bit more of a framework in place, as, as Jeff has said. So I think the answer to that depends very much on whether 
an LTA is the right approach for the particular um, company that you're dealing with at the time. And, and not every company will be right for an LTA. So, so the consent protocol, um, as Jeff says, is very much a framework. It's not designed to cover everything. It's designed to put some parameters around the relationship. And it's probably just worth us as, as, as talking about why that protocol is necessary. In, in a normal administration process, the director's uh, powers are switched off the minute the administrator is appointed. Um, that's written into statute. Uh, but there's a big unless, and it's this unless that, um, that drives the protocol. Um, the unless is the uh, administrator decides um, that it's appropriate and grants his or her consent to allowing the directors to exercise rights. And so the protocol is then born out of what is the extent of the powers that the administrator is prepared to um, grant permission to the directors to exercise. Um, and I can see cases in the future where this hidden power or this hidden section, uh, paragraph 64 in Schedule B1, um, could actually be used even if you're not doing a full light touch administration. There could be situations where Jeff and Alistair are appointed and other insolvency practitioners where actually it's right to grant a very limited power to certain directors to carry out certain aspects of an administration. Um, I, I think the protocol's helpful, but I would caution I, I think I would caution that it's not necessarily appropriate for every single case. And so do I think we will see more of them? I'm back to, I guess, the statement I made right at the beginning when we were talking, which is that you every case has got to be assessed on its facts. And, and for me, you know, the objective of the administration is probably what drives whether the LTA is important uh, or not. Um, the primary objective in administration is rescue of the company as a going concern. And um, over time, we've um, we've probably moved because of the economy to a situation where objective one of administration has probably not been what we've needed to pursue. We've been looking at better realisation for creditors, perhaps a secured credit creditors. So, so how do we maximise value from the assets? There will be cases going forward where rescue of the company is absolutely the right objective. And in those circumstances, LTA might be helpful. That's great. Thank you. You have to judge everything on a case by case basis. Um, Alyssa, can I bring you in here for anyone listening that's just curious how, in a practical sense, an LTA is delivered? So what is the step by step process that is followed? Can you just take us through an overview of how it works? Uh, well, if we take the Debenhams case, I mean, as I indicated earlier, you know, cash cash was our our primary concern in the first instance, but then it was it, it was around understanding you know, how the distribution centres worked and, 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 you know, whether we were comfortable with how those processes worked. There's no point in, you know, myself and my team taking over those processes because clearly, you know, we're not, we're not experts in health and safety or, or indeed in, you know, getting the infrastructure, the stores up and running. It was about, you know, augmenting management where they needed assistance in negotiation with suppliers and, uh, and mm. uh, assisting management in uh, negotiating with vendors to um, ensure we had sufficient stock to enable us to do that. And how tricky is it to manage all the stakeholders through an LTA? I mean, how, 
who are the stakeholders and also you know what what do people tell their staff how how tricky is it to manage manage those relationships jeff i might bring you in here the issue of communication is is central to all all administrations or all restructurings and and if you can't communicate the chances of you succeeding are always going to be reduced i would suggest um and obviously the pandemic has thrown up a, another challenge which as alistair said you know historically we would have been able to be um, either very visible or somewhat more visible in, in, in the physical sense, and that's gone. Um, now, what we've found, mm. thankfully, actually, is that for the cases we've dealt with thus far, the companies had in, embedded it already very good communication systems for getting messages out to staff. Um, and immediately upon our appointment, whether it was on Colucio's or indeed Debenham's, messages actually in the first instance from the CEOs were delivered to the staff both in recorded messages, as in videos, so that they could see, you know, their, their CEO explaining what was going on and why things were happening. But then on top of that, obviously, update in, in the written form as well. Um, and I think we have to say you know, absolute credit to staff, you know, who have gone through not only the the fundamental uncertainty and the challenges of all that we've all had around the impact of COVID, but also your employer is then gone into administration and quite naturally initial concern will be about job losses etc and whilst you know we, we we can't say that an LTA will never cause for for job losses to to occur the, the issue of communicating and talking through and again you know on the stake the wider stakeholder piece you know there's there's been very significant amounts of communication that COVID hasn't stopped that whether that's you know by video calls by conference calls or whatever that has been but talking to people still is the way that you get results because if you're trying to deal with a disgruntled supplier, um, you know, and, and we've had suppliers small around the world who are facing their own challenges, you know, all sorts of stuff working through there. So the, the light touch bit hasn't meant that you don't talk to people. It's, it's, it's mm. the, the fundamentals remain. You've still got to communicate and communicate and communicate. Um, and, and as long as that is core to what people are doing, um, you can't hide away from the, the fact that companies in administration, it, it, it is it is there. Um, but we haven't found that to be an impediment. But clearly, you know, it is you've got to engage with as many people as possible to explain what you're trying to achieve. And how much harder is it to go through this process when the brands, I mean, the brands we're talking about today, their household names, there's a lot of media attention. I mean, does that put on extra pressure um, to the to, to the parties on both sides? Um, John, I might bring you in here. That must be difficult when all these things are being executed in the public eye. Yeah, I think um, media is obviously something that uh, anybody in any administration context, like touch or otherwise, is aware of. But there's a job to do. Um, there's duties to fulfill. And when we're in a light touch administration, those duties fall both on the administrator, but also on the directors who, um, by the consent protocol, are given discretion to exercise those duties. And they're focus has to absolutely be on what is the rescue plan and how do um how does what i'm doing um enhance the 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 position for the creditors um and we all know you know the media will the media will present things in the way the media chooses to present things it doesn't necessarily mean it's right and and for me from a legal perspective and looking into a legal mind 
There's one eye on the risk and reputational piece in terms of how the media are presenting things. And there's a lot we can do to help and assist the media support the, the, the right messaging around it. But the priority always has got to be about doing the job properly. And that focus, um, I think, is paramount. Mm, absolutely. And it, it strikes me when we're talking about management having a little bit more sway during a light touch administration that a lot of the success of these arrangements relies on on trust so how do you how do you build trust i suppose between the two sides and then how do you mitigate risk at the same time um alistair i might bring you in here what what have you found uh, certainly from an operational point of view, which was my primary focus on, on Debenhams, um, you know, you're right that building that trust with management um, from the outset and, and and that goes both ways that, you know, that they, uh, you know, I guess, accept that you're not going to be, you know, in, in, in interfering in the minutiae the, you know, of, their, of their day job. But also from my point of view, it's about, you know, managing risk and ensuring they're not, you know, uh, behaving in a cavalier management. And, you know, as Jeff indicated earlier, it's just about communication and understanding more about, you know their situation and um you know their concerns and you know their concerns about the process and you know often that's you know say from a reputational point of view that you know the uh the the individuals who are dealing with um you know major beauty vendors on a on a daily basis they you know they want to make sure that you know their own reputations are protected and um you know how, how we can assist them in uh in in ensuring that's the case that you know everything's dealt with in a you know commercial and a, a professional manner and um and I think that's how you how you go through that process. And are there any key learnings that um, that the wider insolvency industry will take on board as a result of COVID-19, as a, as a result of going through of having to process these LTAs? Are there, are there any long standing learnings that you think will change the industry long term, Jeff? Yeah, so I think, as Joanne said, the, the, the rights for this have always existed. But I think it's safe to say that the insolvency profession as a whole, and that's both the accountants who tend to be the administrators and the lawyers who are advising, I think it's fair to say that in the main, you know, there's a natural degree of caution about life and, it, and it, it's, it's easier to default to the cautious approach than it necessarily is to say, let's think a bit broader. And, and that cautious approach over the last you know, 25 years of administrations plus has been to take the cautious approach, which has meant the administrators come in, they take complete control, they seek to control the minutiae because that's that's a, the easier route in some ways. Um, I think in the context of both COVID, but also when we look at what government has now brought in play with the new legislation around the moratorium, I think mm -hmm. we should expect to see that in the consideration of the options that a light touch administration is given greater you know airtime and if a practitioners in the administrator sense can get slightly more used to the fact that they don't have to control everything and that doesn't mean giving away uh, or exposing yourself to, to undue risk then actually it should become a more useful tool and we expect that you know the moratorium process and the restructuring plan process will not be the right thing for many companies for, for the reasons as to what you have to do in there but a light touch administration may be or should be another tool that's under consideration where you're you're looking to use the restructuring tool that is administration as effectively as possible so i, I would like to think that you know over time um 
administrators and therefore the sort of wider restructuring and insolvency profession feels a little more comfortable, if not somewhat more comfortable, in feeling that, you know, you can adopt the LTA without exposing oneself to sort of an undue level of risk, um, which, you know, and, and, and clearly, you know, as Joanne said earlier, you know, not all cases will be, you know, relevant or appropriate for an LTA, but it, we should see mm -hmm. some progression in how the profession looks at the options that are available. And, and Jeff, do you feel like the need to get the best possible outcome from every administration is more pressing than ever? You know, given that we're in a, a pandemic, that there's all these pressures on the economy. Does that feel like it, it puts even more weight on every single one of these deals to get them exactly right? Yes. I mean, you know, I, th I think it's the profession as a whole as knows it's it's always being judged by the outcomes. Now, obviously, there are uh, for many matters many stakeholders and therefore different people have a different perception as to what a successful outcome is but you know if we take one you know one facet of what an administrator might achieve which is you know the preservation of jobs i think it's safe to say that the preservation of jobs in the coming months if not a couple of years is going to be something at the top of every politician's agenda um, and probably every business person's agenda in the context of you know, the, the impact of COVID-19 um, is is already demonstrating significant, you know, unemployment levels, which sadly are only being predicted to rise. So the prospect of using an LTA um, or indeed any other restructuring tool with regards to trying to preserve whether it's a company itself or its underlying business will, will come in ever more into focus. The one thing I would say, which is, you know, when I talk about the insolvency profession needing to sort of learn and adapt itself, I would love to see a wider business change, however, where people are prepared to take advice earlier, because it's mm -hmm. absolutely true that the more time that we, um, whether as restructuring advisors or um, Joanne as a, as a restructuring advisor from the legal sense, are given to assess a, a position, the greater the prospect of us achieving success. Um, and, and I think mm. it is it is a reasonable comment to make that we don't have a business culture where people seek early advice. I've been doing this for 30 years and, and sadly, people feel as though taking advice is often seen as almost some sort of weakness. So mm. hopefully if we can get a wider environment where people want to engage earlier, then the success that you refer to as you know being highly important for what we all seek to achieve, that we, we, we marginally, if not significantly, improve the prospects of delivering that success. That's a really interesting point, Jeff. Maybe we could dig into that a little bit more, because when we say get, you know, ask for advice earlier, at what point, at what point, you know, what are the what are the red flags or the how early? How does the business person know? Right. This is the time when things could go dramatically downhill. What, what are the warning signs? Um, I might bring you in here, um, Alistair, in your experience, where, where's that fork in the road when businesses really need to think I need help here? It's it's as early as the company's lost a, a contract or it, it just starts to come slightly off budget. And, um, you know, things can progress very quickly from you know, a company simply being stressed to distressed. And um, as, as time passes, the options available to the company um, decrease. And, you know, as Jeff, Jeff indicated, the earlier we can have that um, intervention and start to provide some advice as to how to uh, stop that decline continuing, the greater the likelihood of, um, of, of, of a successful turnaround. And, and avoiding an insolvency event. 
It's tricky though, isn't it? Because I know that most entrepreneurs that I meet, they're incredibly positive people. And if something goes wrong, their first instinct isn't to think, oh, I should get advice. It's I'm going to fix this. This isn't that big a problem. So I suppose it's also about a kind of educational aspect to it. it as Jeff mentioned, it's not always a sign of weakness. It's not always a sign that things are going to get really bad if you get advice. How do you instill that in in entrepreneurs, people who are by na- by their nature likely to kind of reject the idea that things are going wrong it's incredibly challenging and um often owner managers in you know in that in that sense will you know will seek advice from their from their you know retained legal advisor in the first instance and um as you indicate it's, you know it's incredibly difficult to uh to get an entrepreneur who you know you know by the, by the, by the fact that they're in that position they've you know they have traditionally been hugely successful and they you know they feel as though they can they can resolve it themselves. And Joanne, there's a feeling now, what Jeff was talking about, the moratorium introduced by government, there's a feeling that the insolvency industry and the government are kind of pulling in the same direction. Is that quite an interesting environment to be working in? Yeah, it's been a very busy environment to be working in because obviously COVID hit. And so we've got lots of businesses actually reaching out um, with questions, uh, which to your earlier point about getting um directors to engage earlier we've seen much more of that in the covid period just questions a bit of um checking about where they're unsure and um and and really reaching out to professionals to to just try and help guide them and alongside that we obviously had all these changes proposed by government um it's probably worth saying that the the changes that have come into force um at the end of um, end of uh, june actually were talked about a few years ago so so they're not it's not new proposals um they they have been discussed they were consulted on at length um and then um parked i guess because government had other business with uh, with brexit and everything but given the pandemic they've been brought to the fore and expedited um there's a lot of good in those proposals um there's also a lot of question marks still but what i do know is um we've got a very creative and sophisticated insolvency profession and I mean that in its broadest sense be it insolvency practitioners be it the legal um, community be it our judges and um, having the additional tools in the kit box will enable us to um, deliver better outcomes all round and um, I think you know where there will be bumps along the way where we're not clear precisely what a a particular provision means or how we should interpret it but I do know the industry and the wealth and depth of experience that's in it will will work creatively to find solutions and um, solutions are what help businesses. Oh absolutely and John you mentioned those those question marks how long do you think it'll be before we know the long-term implications of some of these changes I mean will we know relatively quickly or could it be years down the line? I think we're going to, I think we will see some fallout relatively quickly. Um, There were a lot of businesses going into COVID who were already financially distressed. We've actually seen some of them fall over uh, along along the current journey. I, I actually think the longer term impact is going to be quite sustained. I think Jeff mentioned earlier in the conversation about um, unemployment rates, but we've also got to think about all those businesses who've had to avail themselves of some of the government schemes, things like the um, C-bills loans. 
when suddenly we've got to start servicing those interest payments um, and we're looking at our balance sheets and maybe the revenues are not back to where they um, should have uh, or, or where we predict or hope they will be, those businesses are going to have uh, quite a tricky time. And to Alistair's point, you know, um, directors taking advice early this is exactly the time now to be perhaps engaging with people like Jeff and Alistair to um, have a conversation about, OK, this is where we're at. This is what we did to respond to COVID. But could you help us forward look? Could you help us roll forward um, perhaps our cash flows, um, our trading plans? Because what directors need to do is make sure they're robust and resilient. And the challenges, I, I think, could come at them all of a sudden but in six, eight, 12 months time. And planning now is not wasted time. I think that's a brilliant place to end. Planning now is not a waste of time. I think that's that's got to be the message from, from this week's podcast. Thank you all so much for sharing all of your insights and advice and examples from the real world, which always brings these topics to life. It's been really interesting to dig into what light touch administrations really are and what they mean for businesses. Um, much appreciated. Thanks, everyone. Next week on Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, we'll be talking about M&A and in what manner funders and investment-hungry businesses will return to the market over the next year. Bringing insight from both sides of the deal table, we'll consider future routes to finding a buyer, as well as approaches to negotiation and remote due diligence. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the next episode to be automatically downloaded to your phone.